uh, says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God. That, Lord, it is exactly what we need today. And it has the nutrients we need for our spiritual life. We're going to receive it by faith, be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we depend upon you and your ministry right now that you're anointing the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening and opening them by the gift of your grace, causing them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're ministering to each of your children individually and that they're going to walk away hearing from you something out of this message that they need. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. High five someone on the way down. All right. So let's, uh, let's start unpacking verse 1. Verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Starts out the word therefore. So again, what do you ask yourself? What is there for? And it seems like every time since we've reached chapter 4, every time I get to teach, it starts out with therefore, 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 therefore. And so therefore really corresponds to our call to faith. Matter of fact, 11 times in chapters 4 through 6, Paul uses the word therefore. You don't find it in chapters four through, uh, chapter 1 through 3, but you're going to find it 11 times from chapter 4 through 6. That means... That you, what are you going to do with the grace of God given to you? Now, the word in, like in Christ, in him, in whom, uh, is 18 times chapters 1 through 3. That corresponds to grace. In Christ is what God has done in grace. And then always, therefore, therefore, what are you going to do because of that? Because you're in Christ. Because you are righteous. Because you are holy. Because you are filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, what's your response? You're the new creation, but how should the new creation look in their marriage? How should their, the new creation look like parenting? What's the new creation look like towards the world and at work? And, and so, so Paul uses the word therefore. Now, when it comes to exhortations for Christians to live according to godly standards, it's always prefaced by the word therefore. And so it's important that you read things in context because you need to go back to what was Paul saying when he said, therefore. And all he points back to something God has given you as a resource in grace for you to respond to. And if you take the, you take the text out of the context, you're left with a con. And so a lot of times those that are legalists will go straight to the, the scriptures that talk about that we need to live holy and not live in sin, but they miss out on the resource of grace to pull from. And so, again, uh, the when, whenever exhortations for godly living is given, it's prefaced by the word therefore. So, so I want you to repeat after me. Uh, uh, we, are holy, we are holy, therefore we can live holy. Therefore, we can live holy. 
We are righteous. Therefore, we can live righteous. We are beloved. Therefore, we can love one another. We are forgiven. Therefore, we can forgive others. Do you see that? You see that? And so again, God always resources us by grace to respond to. Matter of fact, in the New Covenant, God will never ask from you that He not first puts within you to draw from to manifest that fruit. And so the first half of Ephesians gives us the roots of grace to draw from. And so we're told who we are, what we have, and what we can do because we're in Christ. And therefore, we're to draw from the roots of grace by faith and manifest the fruits of grace. The fruits of grace. See, a lot of Christians are trying to live the Christian life by willpower, by trying to stop certain things they need to stop, start things they need to start, but they're not drawing from the grace of God within them to bear fruit. Do you ever see a tree out there grunting and groaning? No, you're never going to see that. They just they do abide in the soil, the soil and, and receive it. So we abide in the soil of God's love and his grace and we manifest fruit. Ask the person next to you, do you have fruit or are you just fruity? This verse says, therefore, be imitators of who? God, as dear children. Look at the word imitators. It's the Greek word mementes, where we get the word mime or mimic from. And so have you ever seen someone do mime? Where they, they have black on and they have a white face and the gloves and they go... Thank you. I worked on that. YouTube videos, <laughs> a mime doesn't say anything. They communicate through their actions. And so, in other words, Paul is saying to us today, don't talk about his love, walk in his love. Live it, express it. Don't tell everybody you ha- what you have, show them what you have, do what God does. We're to imitate God our Father. And so it says, imitate God the Father as dear children. Say dear children. The word dear in the Greek is actually 66 times translated as beloved. Beloved. And the root of that's agape. Beloved. And so so how do we appropriate this word beloved? How are are we truly going to be God's beloved? Be loved. Be loved. Tell someone be be loved. Be loved. Accept God's love. Allow his love to penetrate you at a heart level. Oftentimes, we're either ignorant of God's love, been, haven't been taught God's love, or, or we have a hardened heart where we're not receiving God's love. And so, again, the resource that God's going to give us and able to overcome the, sin, the dark sins of this chapter is the love of God. So, you see, a legalist would go immediately into chapter verses 3 four, and five, and start hammering on sin. But God says, no, no, in context, let's talk about as the foundation is that, first of all, we need to receive the love of God as dear children. You need to understand that you're not only beloved, but you're a child of God. 
Say, I'm a child of God. Now, if that's if you're born again, if you're born, raise your hand if you're born again, you are his offspring. This Greek word is specifically for his offspring. And so it says that we are to mimic our father as a beloved child. Have you ever seen a small boy imitate the actions of his father? It's cute, cute to see that. And, and even the father doesn't even realize the little one's doing it. The little one is just gazed. He's, he's locked in on his father. And whatever the father's doing, he's, he's doing it. And after the father's walking, the little one's trying to walk too. You know, he's just, he's just he's gazing at the father and he's mimicking what he's doing. That's how we ought to, as we intently look at our father. We can start doing what we're seeing. Because, because guess what? We have his DNA. We have, you ever seen, boy, he's just, like, he's just like his daddy, just like his mom. It, that you can see them in them. You can see the mom and dad in them. And so, so you can see God the Father in you. Because if you're born again, you have his DNA in your born again spirit. And, and we also share the same Holy Spirit the Father has. And so as we grow up, we need to take notice of how God the Father treats us. Look, look at how the Lord treats you. Does, how does he treat you? Does he treat you in, in harshness and anger and wrath? And, but does he treat you in kindness and patient? Raise your hand if he's patient with you. Raise your other hand if he's really patient with you. <laughs> Lift your foot up if he's really, really patient with you. then as we behold how he is with us, we can mimic him towards others. This is, this is how God treats us. He treats us in love, patience, and grace. This is how we're to treat others. Look at verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And walk in love. Walking is a decision you make. Walking isn't always in, implying that you feel like it. Raise your hand if you have a job. You always feel like getting up and going to your job. No, but you, but you, you go to your job. And the first, first step of getting to your job is to start walking. First of all, start walking out of your bed towards the shower to get, get ready in the morning. And so we, we need to decide to walk, but walk in love. And so, how are we to walk in love? As Christ has loved us. See, see, as we have received the love of Christ towards us, we're to walk in the power of that love. To the measure you're receiving the love of Christ is the measure that you can love other people. You might say, well, Pastor, I'm really having difficulty loving other people. It's because you're having difficulty receiving his love for you. You're ignoring his love for you. And so the more, the measure you're receiving his love is the degree you can give it out. And again, you can't do that by willpower. If you try to love someone in your flesh, you'll just want to slap them. <laughs> Don't do it. So receive his love for you. The love of Christ received constantly as an ever-flowing river to us is the very resource that liberates us keeps us free, and it also empowers us to love others as well. So notice it says that 
walk in love as Christ has loved us, he, as he's given himself. Say given himself. How did he pre-showed his love by an action? He gave himself for you. Um, gave himself. That brings out the fact that Jesus was not murdered. The Jews and the Romans did not murder Jesus. Jesus chose to give himself up. There's times where they came to get him and he'd walk right through the crowd. They get, and he says, My hour's not come. You, you can't take me now. It's not my hour. But his hour had come. And where did he make the decision to give himself up for us? In the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And he chose in that moment to give himself up fully for us. And so this brings out the fact, we're talking about the love of God, receiving the love of God. Well, how can we experience the love of God practically? I want to get very practical. How at any moment, any time, can we experience his love to us and receive his love for us. It's in this verse. As we meditate and we focus upon how he gave himself for us on the cross, we will be filled with the love of God in our souls. Matter of fact, it's the Bible way. It's the only way. It's the only scriptural way that's the foundation, the springboard from which we can experience his love anytime we want to. And so I want you to look at some verses that show us this. Look at Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 8. This is a scriptural way to tap into the love of God anytime you want to. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates. Say demonstrates. It's a present tense verb in the Greek. It could be better translated for God is demonstrating his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. You want to experience the love of God and you want it demonstrated afresh to your heart. Focus on what he did for you at the cross. Look at 1 John 4, 9 and 10. We're talking about how to experience the love of God. 1 John 4, 9 and verse 10. It says, in this the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we should live through him. Look at verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins on the cross. To know the love of the father is that he gave up his own son for you. How much does he love you? The Father loves you exactly as he loves Jesus Christ. And the proof is he gave his son for you. Let's look at John 15, 13. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for his friends. So here, here's the scriptural way. Guys, you need to understand what Jesus did for you. That he, was, he allowed himself in the garden to be taken. They took him to the Sanhedrin for trial. They, they put a covering over his face and they slapped him repeatedly and punched him repeatedly and took it off and they ripped his beard out and they spit in his face. Why did he allow that? Because he loved you so much. And then he went for Pilate and Pilate said, he, go ahead and execute him. But before he's executed... He needs to be whipped. And so it was early in the morning 
Jesus went to the cross at 9. It was early in the morning. It was cold that morning. We know that because Peter was warming his hands over a fire of coals that morning. And, and you know how sensitive your skin is when it's cold. Well, that morning, Satan had the two strongest, most ablest floggers in the Roman Empire to flog Jesus. They tied him to a pole, stripped him bare, and then whipped him with a cat of nine tails. And at the end of the, of the whip is glass and bone and metal. And, they just, and there was no, it wasn't 39 stripes. It was, the Romans had no, no limit. And they whipped him until they took his back off. And then they tied the cross beam to him, and he went to carry it to Golgotha and kept falling, which he, he couldn't keep hold himself, so he had fallen on his face. And they, they gave the cross beam to someone else, and they took him, and then they stretched out his arms and drove spikes through his wrist, the most sensitive area of your body, and through his ankles, and hoisted him up and set him down in the hole. And he hung there completely naked to the multitude and suffered for six hours, bleeding. And he did it because he loved you. You need to put the magnifying lens over the love of God for you. He did it for me. In a God way, he did it just for you. It's a very personal thing. And, And that's just the physical part. There's a spiritual part where your sins, one after another, came into his body. The things that you're ashamed of today, the things that you feel the guilt about, Jesus bore that, the shame of that, and the weight of it because he loved you. You want to experience the love of God anytime you want to. Focus on his love for you at the cross. He gave himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We find offering and sacrifice. In the Old Testament sacrifices, there was non-blood offerings called the meal offering. Then you had the animal sacrifices, which were blood offerings. Jesus gave himself, first of all, as an offering, and that's seen in the grain offering. And the grain was, was ground very fine, extremely fine. This speaks of his perfections and his perfect life, his there's, there's not one thing you could find wrong with him in the smallest part of everything he's done and said. and It was completely perfect. Amen. He gave himself up for us to be accepted. But then he had to take our sins upon him to be a sacrifice in his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So he had to become a blood sacrifice. But what kind of it? It says for a sweet-smelling aroma. We, we were reminded that when Noah came off the ark, that he sacrificed the clean animals, and it said that the aroma came up as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. In the Old Covenant, there were the sin offerings, which were mandatory. The other offerings, the different kinds of offerings, were all free will offerings. You could choose to give it. And it says that every free will offering given was a sweet smell to God. It doesn't say at all that sin, the sin, the mandatory sin offering was not a sweet aroma to the Lord, but what was freely given was a sweet aroma to God. 
See, Jesus freely gave himself up on that cross for you. And it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. And that smell was something that reminded him that he would never judge again. When we willingly love others sacrificially, guess what? It becomes a beautiful, sweet-smelling aroma when we will sacrificially love other people. But we can only do it when we receive his love for us. Look at Titus 2.14. Titus 2. Look at verse 14. It says, Jesus gave himself. Can I say gave himself? He gave himself over to redeem us from all iniquity and purify us as a peculiar people to himself, zealous for good works. Raise your hand if you believe you've been redeemed from all iniquity. Raise your hand if you believe he's purified you. Raise your hand if you believe you're a peculiar person. Amen. But keep reading. So that you would be, you would be zealous for good works horizontally. That you would receive his free will, his free will offering and, and receive his love and it would impel you to sacrificially love other people. Look at verse 3. Now we're ready for the word but. Now we're going to get into the dark side of sin. and Paul didn't start there. He started with the bright light of, of God's love and his, the, the, the rays of his grace that shines from him, the love of God that we receive. That's the answer for these sins that, that we're about to read. See, someone in legalism, they'll say, stop that sin. God's going to judge you for the sin. Now read in context. That's why we go verse by verse by verse. Read it in the setting that God said it in. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for who? Saints. In verse 3, these are sins of action. Sin of action. Verse 4 will be sins of the tongue. This verse, it talks about action. So he says, sins of fornication. Look at the word fornication. See, see these sins, fornication and cleanness and covetousness, in, in contradiction to the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ, this is a stench in the Father's nostrils because they are rooted from the, they come from the flesh and from selfishness. Fornication is the Greek word porneia. P-O-R-N-E-I-A, porneia. This is the overarching term from sexual immorality outside of covenant of marriage. It can be included uh, sex between unmarrieds. It could be adultery. It can be uh, uh, homosexuality. It was the overarching word for sexual immorality in the ancient world. And so we, we get a word from this porneia. Porn, pornography can be included under sexual immorality. And so sexual sins, where do they come from? And, and, and how do they, they, they blossom and, and uh, do its work in a, in a believer's life? Sexual sins arise out of a lack of understanding, believing, and receiving the love of Christ for you. Where, where does fornication come from? It's a heart 
that's seeking love. It's a heart that, that is craving intimacy. And the more your heart is filled with the love of Christ, the more fornication has no appeal to you. Adultery has no appeal to you. Homosexuality has no appeal to you. Sin has no appeal to you. Tell someone, be loved. All uncleanness. Very interesting word in the Greek. It, it was actually a Greek word uh, that was used as a medical term. It was a technical term used in the medical field. And this is exactly what this Greek word means in the Greek. It was a medical term for an impurity or pus that came from an infected wound. Let me say that again because you want to hear pus again. I know it. <laughs> this was an impurity or pus that came out of an infected wound that was untreated. Where does impurity in someone's life come from? Most of the time it comes from a wound that has not been healed. It's not been treated by the Spirit of God. A wounded heart impacts a person's believing and thinking and results in an impure lifestyle. Impurity that stems from an infected wound in the heart is healed by allowing God access to it. Amen. If you have a wound or you have a broken bone, you first of all have to admit it and go to the doctor or go to someone that can help you, your parent, whatever, you have a wound, and they're going to have to, they're going to, have to start addressing the wound, and when you do that, it's painful at first. But you're going to have to let the medicine come in and you're going to have to let the healing process come in. And a lot of people have, not, have this festering wound in their soul that has never been touched. Let me tell you something about your soul. It's timeless. It's timeless. A wound that happened many years ago is as fresh as it happened today. Time heals all wounds. Um, well, if you wait long enough to go to heaven... But in this life, God needs to touch it. And before he can touch it, he has to have access to it. So how do you have access? First of all, you must acknowledge you've been hurt. I know for us guys, it's a little tougher to do that. We've been taught, just rub dirt on it and move on. But no, we need to acknowledge I've been wounded, I've been hurt. And, and God, guys, this is probably the toughest thing he's going to ask for you to do, for you to open up that heart so he can touch it is you need to release the person who hurt you into his hands as the judge. Why? Because as long as you're holding them guilty, holding them in unforgiveness, you have a closed heart and he can't touch the wound. Let that person go. Well, I can't, I can't do that. Well, when you receive his love for you, you can. Release that person in the hand of God. And then, Father, take the pain. Take this pain away. And heal me. And it's amazing how fast it can be. I'm going to open my heart and tell myself. I'm going to close it because I don't know all of you guys. But one day, someone said something to me. It hurt me very, very deeply. 
I, I, literally, I was hurting so much, it was like a hole in my chest. I don't know if you've experienced pain that much. It just felt like a hole, a gaping hole in my chest. And, and I don't know what led me to do it, but I'm glad I did. I, I just fell on my knees and cried to the Lord, and I said, Lord, this hurts. That, that hurt me. Please take this pain, and I give that person over to you. And when the minute I did it, boom, I went, where did it go? Literally, I went, where did that go? The Lord took it. But you need to open your heart up to the Lord. You can try to fight the impurity in your life, but until you get to the root and let the Lord deal with the root. Covetousness, which means a greedy desire to have more of anything. What this brings out, the fact that there's a God-sized space in your heart that only God can fulfill. And you try to fill it with possessions and money and relationships and approval and promotion and whatever the things man's trying to fill that hole with, it can be never, it can be never enough. I read a biography of a billionaire and on his deathbed, he says, only if I could get another billion. He still believed a lie that would fill that hole. I'm just, another billion that will satisfy it. No, it won't. No, it won't. It's too late. Only God's love can fill that place. You can never get enough things. You can never get enough money. You can never get enough approval to fill that. So the cause of these three, fornication and cleanness and covetousness, is a lack of understanding, believing, and receiving the love of Christ for you. Tell your neighbor, be loved. These sins are selfish by nature. They have no concern for the well-being of others, but God's love does not seek its own. Let it not even, these three, don't let them not even be named among you. Don't even let them be mentioned about you or among you. We as Christians should not even ta be talking about such things, let alone practicing them. However, many Christians today are watching other people commit them as entertainment on TV. Well, pastor, you're just condemning me. No, no, no. I'm telling you that this, this doesn't fit you anymore. Because you need to understand who you are. Because they're not to be named among you as fitting for saints. For saints. Raise your hand if you've been born again. The Bible says you're a saint. Religion always gets things backwards. Religion says that you become a saint after you die. And you had to get voted on. And if you had some notable miracles and lived holy, you can become a saint. No, religion gets it backwards. You're born again a saint in order to live holy and perform miracles. And so a saint, look at the word saint. It's the Greek word hagios. It's the exact same word translated holy. Whenever you find the word holy in the New Testament, it's hagios. What's a saint? A holy one. A set-apart one. And so to prove that you're a saint, I want you to introduce yourself to your neighbor and say, I'm saint in your first name. 
Is there any St. Francis's? I know there's a Holy Joe right here. As saints, these behaviors don't fit you anymore. They're not fitting for a saint. They don't suit you anymore. The heart that's been cleansed and enlarged by the love of Christ cannot be comfortable and the defiling, restricting garments of fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness anymore. The word saint is used 60 times of believers. Every believer is a saint. If you believe you are holy, you will live holy. We have grace to live holy by the Holy Spirit within us. As saints, you've been given grace. Say, as a saint, I've been given grace to put off the old fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, the grave clothes. They don't fit me anymore. I'm not comfortable in them anymore. Look at verse 4. Neither filthiness or foolish talking. Someone's getting hit. Or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. These are the sins of the tongue. Look at the word filthiness. It means obscenity. Or cussing. And this isn't just when you drop something heavy on your foot. This is something you're not seemingly to control your tongue and you find yourself with filthy things coming out of your mouth, obscenities and bitterness and anger and, and gossip and you're struggling with the tongue. And, and, and so there's an answer to this. But let's move on, first of all, and talk about foolish talking. It comes from a compound word in the Greek. It means uh, from logos, which means speech, but moros, where we get the word moron from. So it means moronic talk, the talk of a moron. Have you ever met somebody that... Sounded like a moron. Nor coarse jesting. This Greek word means a well-turned saying or phrase, a witticism, some of us were witty. Um, but, it, but it's always with a double meaning and usually with a sexual nature, sexual innuendos as a joke. Paul says, why should this not be part of our life? They're not fitting. They don't fit you anymore, saint. They don't All right, praise God, which are not fitting. So again, Paul says these don't fit you any longer. The heart that's been cleansed and enlarged by the love of Christ cannot be comfortable in the defiling, restricting garments of obscenity, foolish talking, or coarse jesting any longer. Tell someone, be loved. You know something that God doesn't tell you to stop something, but doesn't give you something to exchange it with. Grace always gives you a resource to exchange it with. He says, but rather 
giving of thanks. If you're having trouble with your tongue in these areas, it says the answer is to give your tongue over to praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Let me tell you practically how you deal with a tongue that you're, you're facing this, this, this filthiness, this obscenity, uh, uh, the, the sins of the tongue. Start praying in tongues in the morning. First thing off, start praying in tongues because when you do, it says 1 Corinthians 14, 17, it says when you pray in tongues, you give thanks well. You're giving the Holy Spirit your tongue. You can pray in tongues throughout the day, but specifically, especially in the morning before you start the day, give your tongue over to thanks and worship. And you'll find that worship will purify your tongue. Now, verse 5, for this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. (laughs) I've done some of this, Pastor. I've done some of this stuff. Oh, hold on a second. Who is he referring to in this verse? Because let's look at the word fornicator. This moves from the sin of fornication to someone that's identified and characterized as a fornicator. Look at the unclean person. This moves from the sin of uncleanness to being identified, characterized, identified as an unclean person. A covetous man who is an idolater. This moves from the sin of covetousness to being identified, characterized as an idolater. Has any no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. I have a question for you. Just in the natural, how do you qualify for an inheritance? Being born. Being born. So how do you qualify for an inheritance in Christ? being born again. I want to bring out something that these refer to unbelievers because an unbeliever is identified with their sin. A believer is identified with Christ and his righteousness. Raise your hand if you're, if you're identified to Jesus and his righteousness. An unbeliever, again, is identified by their sin. A Christian is identified with Christ and his righteousness. I think it's important to take Scripture, to compare Scripture, to interpret Scripture. I want to look at another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that will help us understand this verse. Because he says nearly the same thing. I want you to look in 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 9 through verse 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous, question, who are the unrighteous? They're unbelievers. What is a believer? Righteous. Is it by your actions that you're righteous? It's by being in Christ and by your faith that you're righteous. Here it says, the unrighteous will not inherit. Why? They're not born again. 
You have to be born again to have an inheritance. It says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are identified with their sin. But can you read the next verse? Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Raise your, hand, say, raise your hand if you were such that were. Okay, some of you are not being honest. And some were some of you believers. But you were washed. Tell someone you were power washed in the blood. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, that's holified, sanctified. Hagios is the root word. You've been sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, why are you acting like an unbeliever? The problem is, is that you're not receiving the love of God as his dear child. Tell someone, be loved. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of who? The sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. The New Testament warns about getting deceived concerning false teaching and immorality. You know that, that, that in Paul's day, there was some teaching that God doesn't care because of grace. God doesn't care about your lifestyle anymore. He doesn't care if you sin and live in sin. He doesn't care. Matter of fact, his, his grace gets magnified when you live in sin. The more you live in sin, God's grace gets magnified even more. There are some today, today, right now, in the fringes of the grace movement that are teaching this very thing. And it's nothing new. Paul had it in the, look at Romans 6, 1 and 2. Romans 6, 1 and 2. And, and, and they're using all this teaching and scripture to basically say, you're free. God knows your weakness, so just... Be you, and God's good with it. No, he's not. Yeah, you need to know who you are, righteous and holy, empowered to live holy. Romans 6.1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer is not yes. Look at the next verse. No! Certainly not, King James. God forbid. How, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? doesn't fit you anymore. The grave clothes doesn't fit you. You don't feel comfortable in them anymore. You're a new creation. Some even has gone to the extreme River Rock Church. In the grace movement today, that teach since Christ removed all sin, that there is no such thing as sin any longer. Okay, 
that's a product of ignorance and stupid having a child. The truth is, when you sin, Jesus paid the guilt penalty, the death penalty, so you're not cut off from God, but horizontally, grace doesn't remove consequences for your actions, and sin brings devastation on relationships. Don't be deceived by empty grace teachers today. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon Christians. Oh, clueless translation. They come upon who? Who are, who are the sons of disobedience? Unbelievers. Paul's saying, why in the world would you live like an unbeliever? Why? When you're loved and you're a child of God and you have his DNA and you're a saint and you're a holy one. They're not fitting anymore. They don't suit you anymore. Therefore, verse 7, do not be partakers with them. Cast off that lifestyle. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've loved us at the cross. And you're demonstrating your love for us right now by what you did at the cross. that The flow of grace and love flows from that cross even to us today, the stream of grace. And today we'll focus on that love and verbalize that love and put a magnifying glass of your love over our own heart. But you'd say, Pastor, I'm struggling with impurity in my life. And I realize today it's come because I've, I've, been, I've been hurt. There's been a wound in my life early on or even... Recently, but I've been wounded, but I've not allowed God to have access to that. And today I need to, I need to come to him and realize and acknowledge to him I've been hurt, I've been wounded. But before I can let him have access to my heart, I know that I can't have a closed heart. I've got to release that person I've clo- that's within my closed heart that I'm holding on to. And they're, they're going to pay and they're, I'm going to hold them in unforgiveness. And I realize today to open up my heart includes releasing that person I've been holding in my heart and releasing to Jesus the judge. And I want you to close your eyes, and if that's you, I want you to picture the Lord before you and and in your heart acknowledge to him, I've been hurt, I've been wounded. And and this person wounded me. and, And I want you to see yourself... Release that person over to the Lord, over into the hands of the judge. Release them right now. And and now I want you to, in your heart, say, Lord, I'm giving you the pain. I'm hurt. Take the pain. Heal me. And a miracle is taking place right now. And that healing will manifest in your life. Freedom will manifest in your life. Purity will manifest in your life. I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of the people here and around the world that's listening to this. 
And we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God together. Amen. I invite you to stand with us as we enter into worship. <laughs> 